I have a couple of mantras. Whatever is unspoken is hardest to change, and we speak least about the things that matter most. It's back to the message. Are they getting the wrong message from me? Because I'm not saying what I really am thinking. And it's not always okay to share what we're thinking. Sometimes we then have to go, goodness me, look at what I am thinking why am I thinking that about that person? Mm. Is it easier to say nothing and carry on being a martyr, if you like, and not say anything? And what are the consequences of that? I suppose at the end of the day, Rachel, what am I most afraid of? Mm. Am I afraid of feeling rejected? Am I afraid of upsetting someone? What is the fear? And how do I face that fear? Anyone love disappointing people? Telling them no? or giving them difficult feedback. It's something which I find really difficult and I'm always getting it wrong. The problem is that our fear of doing it causes us to keep what matters most unspoken. And if we've not directly addressed the issue to avoid upsetting people, the issue just leaks out in another way with unspoken resentment or passive aggressive behaviour, or letting people down when we've said yes when it really should have been a no. I've noticed that this is one of the key issues for professionals in health and social care. And the good news is that it's totally normal to feel like this. The bad news is that this is something we need to get right for all sorts of reasons. Building trust within a team, making things better for ourselves, our teams, customers and patients. And I think it's one of the most difficult leadership skills to master. So I'm slightly obsessed with this right now. And in this episode, Jane Gunn, the barefoot mediator, joins me again to discuss how to tell someone something they don't want to hear. Jane shares all sorts of wisdom, tips and advice from her years working with and mediating between professionals in high stress jobs. So listen to this episode to learn how to share stuff without triggering the other person into a meltdown and get some really helpful tips and strategies which will save you all sorts of pain in the future. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high stress, high stakes jobs. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's great to have with me back on the podcast, Jane Gunn. Welcome back, Jane. 
Hi, Rachel. So good to have you back. Now, Jane is known as the Barefoot Mediator. She's a lawyer and expert in conflict resolution. And you've got 25 years experience as a mediator, Jane. And you're currently the president of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. So I'm presuming there's not a lot of conflict that you haven't seen. That's right, actually. Yes, (laughs) pretty much across the board. It's wonderful to have you back, Jane. And what we're talking about today is when we say no, how to deal with the conflict that that can cause. So my current obsession (laughs) is about how we can deal with the overwhelm and how we can embrace our limits. And I think the way we do that is by setting boundaries and saying no, because actually we have got to the point in healthcare, and it's not just healthcare, I think it's across the board, other organisations, I'm sure you're seeing this, where people literally can't work harder. They are completely saturated. And so this, (laughs) we've grown up with, you know, too much work, just work a bit harder. That's what we've grown up with all our lives. That's not working anymore. And so the only way to deal with it is to start to prioritise. And if you Mm prioritise, that means there are some things you have to say no to. And then, of course, if you say no and set boundaries, you get the consequences of that. And what I realized is that actually, or certainly what I've seen in healthcare, I'd be really interested to know what you've experienced, both within healthcare and in other organizations. People are fine at setting boundaries and they know what they need to say no to. But Uh when people don't like it and it causes conflict or they have to tell somebody something they don't want to hear that's going to upset them that's when the boundaries completely crumble and they end up reversing the decision and and just going with it and then the overwhelm continues now is that something you've seen am I on the right tracks or is that completely well it goes both ways doesn't it yes so supposing you're a person who has set a boundary for yourself and you're like well you know this is ridiculous I'm I'm going to burn out if I carry on like this so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to set some boundaries you've got to have that conversation with whoever is expecting you to deliver something whatever it is and say that you, you need you need to to step back but it goes the other way as well I suppose in that if you are the person receiving that message you know, how do you receive that message from someone else that they're saying, actually, I, I, I'm overwhelmed. But that, that's the challenge then is you, you, it, it's a two way conversation. How does each side of the conversation handle that message? Because it can feel like a, a criticism to a boss, if you like, to someone who's being told by this person, oh, actually, I, I don't, I don't think I can push any harder. I don't think I can do everything that you expect me to. And there are consequences these days in, in that, you know, people will eventually either leave, they'll go off sick, or they may lodge a complaint or a grievance if they feel that there are grounds for that. So there are consequences as well on both sides. You know, if you're the person setting the boundary, you know, is that going to damage my relationship with the organization or the, or the partnership? Are people going to perceive me different? Am I going to be perceived as not pulling my weight? That's the that's the real challenge. So it's trying to work out what is it we're afraid of and articulating that and being able to talk about that as well as it's not just the message itself. It's what are we afraid of in delivering the message that is going to cause pushback or is going to make us worry about 
how we're then perceived. Because all of us want to feel that we're well regarded. And if we feel that we're not well regarded and or that people are then talking about us behind our back, you know, is that, is that going on? Are then people saying, oh gosh, did you, did you know? Or also, and also you may be misunderstood. So you may say, I literally can't manage any more work. And that may be interpreted as, oh, so-and-so is on the edge of a nervous breakdown or something. So, you know, there are, is it going to be misinterpreted, misconstrued? And that can be awkward and distressing as well. So it's getting the messaging right and feeling on both sides that you've been heard. I wrote a blog this morning, which was actually more about politicians listening, but it was how do you say what needs to be heard and how do you hear what needs to be said? And, you know, hearing what needs to be said means, did I accurately hear what that person was trying to tell me rather than my interpretation of it, my assumptions, my judgment about that person? And when I speak, am I absolutely certain that my message is clear and unambiguous and it's being heard in the way I intended it to be? And both of those principles apply to both sides of the conversation. But we, mm. we're both challenging. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And it, this area is really fascinating to me. Since I just came to this realization, it's not setting boundaries. It's actually dealing with the pushback from boundaries. And yeah. I ran a recent webinar about this. And in the webinar, I ran a poll because I was really yeah. interested. Because in healthcare, what you can often do is trump everything by saying patients will come to harm. Mm. and yeah. you know because you can't say oh it's not like anybody's gonna die well someone might <laughs> die right someone might die because of yeah. that time you've said no or that decision so yes. I was interested actually how common is that so I did a poll on why do you struggle to say no and mm. it was you know because I feel guilty because I'm worried about upsetting people because I'm worried about what people might think of me because it will cause patient harm or other now out of a few hundred people on this webinar. How many percentage do you think said it was because it will cause patient harm? I would say less than 20%. Three. Ah, much less than 20%. 3% said that saying no, they worry about saying no because it will cause patient harm. Mm. The mm. vast majority, it was to do with guilt or what people will think of them. Yes. And I think it's interesting to think, I mean, I'm a lawyer by training, you know, you're a doctor, but I think in these professional roles, our perception of ourselves and, you know, how we come to be in that job, you know, we've had to push most of us quite hard to achieve something with possibly, you know, type A personalities or whatever, you know, we've pushed really hard the sense that we are hard workers and that we don't give up is something which can act to our detriment, I suppose, and that we're, yeah, we're just used to carrying on really. And that is medical training. That is legal training. You work all the hours, but there has to be a limit to that somewhere, doesn't there? You can't just keep adding you can't just keep adding burdens to the donkey's back. <laughs> you, you, you can't. And it's just, you know, I, I think what's happened in healthcare at the moment is that 
you know, we have been absorbing all the extra work and all the extra work and all the extra, like a big, massive sponge. But since COVID, the, the sponge is so full now, so full now that actually literally primary care can't absorb anymore. Then that's spilling over into secondary care. And we see that secondary care can't absorb anymore. And you've got the ambulance. That's why you've got the ambulances queuing. And so then the ambulance now takes so long to get to people because there aren't any ambulances because they're queuing in secondary care because the patients that can't because primary care is totally, totally at capacity and patient demand and expectation has, has gone through the roof. Same patient population. I know. But they're contacting, but, but the demand is, is through the roof. And so mm-hmm. you're at capacity. There are only 24 hours in a day. So no matter how superhuman you think you are and how efficient you are, actually, you cannot fit in any extra work. And doctors, you know, I've lost count of the amount of doctors I've been coaching that are really very upset and saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I cope? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's the totally wrong question to ask. Mm-hmm. You're having a normal physiological response to what the stress you have been under and mm-hmm. the demands that are being placed on you, which absolutely outweigh your ability to deliver what you can and you're blaming yourself. And so I guess this saying no, that goes back to the saying no. If I say mm-hmm. no, people will think I can't cope. And we yeah. think can't coping and, you know, for, for years people have described other people as acopic or, you know, you've got this perception of certain maybe patients that can't cope with anything. And so mm. in healthcare, this not being able to cope is really, we're very scared of ever thinking that that, that could possibly be us. Yes. I think that's the challenge, isn't it, is, is that he, you don't want to seem as though you're the one that needs help because you're the one that offers the help. And yet, I suppose at another level is if you really are at capacity, are you able to serve your patients well? You know, if you are on the verge of burnout, if you are not thinking well, if you're not sleeping well, can can you really be offering the right level of care. Now, I've been working with a GP practice recently. They've been going through my course. And a number of things have come out of that, really, Rachel. One is there should be an attitude of encouragement. What about if you asked your colleagues every day, how are you feeling today on a scale of one to five? And if somebody says, oh, I'm a two or I'm a three, you say, oh, okay, what do you need? Do you simply need a hug? Do you need to tell someone what a tough day you had before you came in? Is there something going, or is it something else? Because I just don't think we ask those questions of ourselves or of each other. I talk in my course about, you know, are you on someone's back or, or do people within a team feel that, you know, someone's on my back and I mustn't, you know, I mustn't give up? Or do you feel that people have got your back? And it's a very different thing because if people have got your back, they're looking out for you and you're looking out for them. And you're looking out to see how do you need to be supported? I think this concept of air cover when you're saying no, the fact that your colleagues have got your back. So if you say no and there's some consequences, like you get a complaint or something, that other people have got your back. I think the issue with it is that if you're asking what do you need, that's a bit dangerous because actually if that person, what that person needs is a bit of time off or someone to help them out by taking a little bit of work off them, then if you've asked someone, what do you need? 
and they reply, you feel that you're the one that has to provide it. Mm-hmm. And that's quite scary because actually when you're at capacity asking someone else, what do you need? The risk is what they need is going to impact on you and cause you to feel even more stressed. Now, I think probably that doesn't happen all the time. It probably happens less than we think it is going to happen. Often it's, oh, I just need a cup of tea and someone to chat to rather than I need you to do that home visit for me. But there is that risk that that's going to happen. There is. But I mean, even if you don't ask, the situation doesn't get resolved. So we have a saying in mediation, you know, if it's an issue for one, it's an issue for everything, everyone. And just because you hide an issue or you don't speak up about it, it doesn't mean it's gone away. <laughs> it's still there. It's just that you haven't been open about it and you haven't enabled other people to bring their thinking to it. So it is this idea of a problem shared as a problem halved or solved or whatever. If you bring everybody's attention and thinking to it in a non-judgmental way and say, you know, here's something we need to talk about. What are some of the options? So again, when we're looking at problem solving in the mediation context, we go through a, a process where we look at what are the issues? What's happening now? What's the narrative? What's the story about it? Then we look at how do we explore that? So what are people's actual experience of it? How do we go a little bit deeper to understand what's really going on? And then we look at what are some possible solutions? And I think when we're all busy, we're very good at one of the things I've been fascinated by recently is looking at the difference between linear and lateral thinking. So we tend to think in a linear way, here's a problem, here's a solution, here's the solution someone else suggests or you suggest, let's crack on with that, rather than, okay, that's one option, but what are some other options? I love to give in my training the the image of people arguing about an orange. And when I ask people, you know, how would you what would you do about two people wanting the same orange? They say, well, cut it in half. We need to compromise, don't we? So that might be, you know, well, you know, if you've got too much work and I've got to, let's, you know, let's help each other out. But you have to say then, actually, that the question to ask is why? Why do they want the orange? And what are some of the solutions to that? So if it was, well, I just wanted a piece of fruit, could one of you have an apple and one of you have an orange? And If it turns out that one person wanted the orange because they wanted to bake a a cake, they just wanted the rind or they wanted to make marmalade, again, they just wanted the rind and the other person wanted to make orange aid, they could both have 100% of what they wanted. So in doing this exploring and asking why and what's important to you about that, then you can look up more options because, you know, if it means I don't get home in time to pick my kids up from school or whatever, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, what's the thing that really bothers you? Is it I'm too exhausted when I get home or is it I feel, you know, you know, I feel under stress when I work or but but actually what is the thing? So you can say, yes, I, I feel overwhelmed or I feel I need to set a boundary, but why? What specifically is that about? And what's the problem you're trying to solve or the feeling you're trying to recover? And 
what are some of the solutions? What are some of the options for you that you yourself or that other people could help you with? Yeah. I love that. And someone said to me on a recent group coaching call, we were doing a course about how to be overwhelmed. <clears throat> and very good question is, well, you know, I'm a GP partner. And if one of my colleagues comes to me and they are burnt out and recognize that, and we know they need to take time off, the problem is we're all on the edge of burnout. So what do we do about that? You know, what's the solution? And that is very like linear thinking, like you said, you know, okay, what is the solution? Can't think of one, but I did hear someone say that physician burnout is not a problem because the problem has a solution. What it is, it's a dilemma and for dilemma, you need strategies. You need actually mm-hmm. lots of things to do, things mm-hmm. you can do. And so you look at you look at it from lots and lots of different perspectives, not yes. just from one perspective. And I think that the other problem is that when you do ask someone, you know, what do you need? And they tell you, your automatic thing is, I've got to fix it. And that is yeah. just, that is typical doctor. I'm sure lawyers are just like that as well. Yeah. Right, uh, please don't tell me what we need because I then feel responsible, you know, and I'm, yeah. I can see this in myself. I can see this certainly in my parents and my friends who are doctors. If you tell someone, if, if, if they tell you they've got an issue or problem, I immediately go to, right, what can I do to help? What's the solution? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't necessarily see all my friends doing that. They just sit there and listen and go, God, that's mm. awful and stuff. So we've got yeah. this over done sense of responsibility so that means when someone says no to us we initially we actually feel responsible for that for making sure that their boundary is definitely held or when Mm. we say no to someone else we feel absolutely dreadful because we are so used to saying yes and trying to fix things for other people Mm. so I think Mm. it's 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 almost harder for those of us that feel like rescuers and feel like fixers to say no and maybe to hear the no because when you hear a no from someone else it's still it becomes your problem even even more of the time is that making any sense no that makes a lot of sense I think that's it's certainly one of the challenges I find in training people in mediation is that they think it's their job to solve the client's problem and actually one of the core principles of mediation is self-determination it's up to you So all I do as a mediator and what I think or hope I'm enabling people to do when I go into a practice is to say, how would you empower others to think about this? And it it doesn't mean you don't take some responsibility as a practice for resolving an issue, but it does all mean that you each individually take responsibility as well for saying, you know, this is about how do I solve this? And so it can involve more of a sort of coaching approach, if you like. Yeah. What? And it is then it's about, it's about dialogue and it's about, it is about listening. So, you know, tell me what the problem is specifically and what, what outcome are you trying to achieve? And, and, you know, a year from now, if you were not to feel like you're feeling now, what would you have done differently? Those kind of questions really helping the person. Cause when you are in that kind of, situation where you're overwhelmed by a a problem or a situation you can't think clearly and so it's the thinking clearly about okay what really is the problem and what are some of the ways out of it and sometimes you need to go deeper into the problem to come out of it or you need to go deeper into yourself to understand what it is about me that makes me experience this problem in this way so 
you know, sometimes we're trying to solve a problem on the surface when we need to dig a little bit deeper and say, what's this really about? Mm -hmm. And therefore, what are the possible ways forward? Mm. Well, you've really got me thinking now because (laughs) when we're sort of teaching people to set boundaries and say no, one of the things, and it's going back to to the point you made earlier, which is actually get the why right. You know, why am I saying no to this? And we teach people to really think about that, to think about the I am choosing to X so that Y. So I'm choosing to say, no, I can't do this because of what I'll give you an example actually I had a dreadful example the other day of a, a trainer was telling me that the trainer had been sent on an urgent visit they had a palliative care patient the trainee this is a GP trainee was mm. having their lunch break in the staff room and a phone call came from a mother with a a child with a very high fever and the receptionist went in and asked because the trainer was on call, but she was out and, uh, you know, uncontactable just for that minute, asked if the trainee would take the phone call from this worried mother with a child with a very high temperature. And the trainee said, no, it's my lunch break. And I heard that. I was really, really shocked. But actually, you know, there might have been very good reason. You know, he might have been, had a very, very long time. He might have literally just sat down had his lunch break and mm-hmm. you know the no could have been no I, I literally can't think I need to get some sugar in me for five ten minutes and then I can take a phone call but it was just a, a straight no and you know it was all sorted out there was no patients were harmed or anything like that yes. but I was thinking you know we hear that story go all oh, that, that that's awful but he could have said no you know actually I'm choosing to have my lunch break now and just finish my lunch so that I can get get back, phone phone this patient and then carry on and give a service t- to everybody else. But there was no explanation of it. It was just, no, it's my lunch break rather than actually, yeah. I need this lunch break. I Can you tell her I'll give her a call in five in five minutes? You know, most things. Can wait so the minutes. thing to think about there, Rachel, is sharing what we call your reasoning and intent. I can't do it now because... And here's the, you know, and here, but here's what I will do exactly as you've said, you know, I can't do it now because I do need five minutes break, but I will ring her back and could you take her number and whatever. So you, 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 yeah, you need to, again, you need to take responsibility for sharing that information. Has what I said been received in the way I needed it to be received? Because the message there is not clear, possibly, you know, the receptionist goes away with a message that said the doctor said no. Mm. The Mm. doctor said they won't talk to you. So how does that get translated back to the patient? It doesn't get translated as the doctor's on his lunch break, or it might just get the doctor said they won't speak to you. Mm. Or more more likely what happened would they go to another another doctor in the surgery go, they've said no, will you do it please? And then of course the trainee might think, well I yes I am worried that they'll think badly if I said no, but I just said it anyway. But of course, they now think badly. Of course, they do because actually there was no explanation. So I guess it's it's back to your point of saying what needs to be heard and hearing what needs to be said. Yes, yeah, it's understanding how our message is interpreted. You know, we we say things or we hear things, but our brain is interpreting them. What do I think that means? And we interpret it only in the context of what 
how it matters to us. <laughs> and so, you know, we're only we're in our own little self-absorbed bubble. So we hear our own, you know, our own story that if you like, it fits only in our story. And we don't really think to think outside that bubble. And, you know, why might it be important to that person? Or, you know, we just become or we are fairly self-absorbed really as individuals. And the more pressure we're under, the more we are absorbed by our own situation rather than being able to look outwards and say, oh, I can see you need some help, but I'm really busy. Or, you know, we just, yeah, we just answer from that very narrow perspective without explaining the context. I I think we can get it wrong in two ways. Like you said, that narrow perspective, you just say no, because it's my right, (laughs) my my right and et cetera, with no explanation. And then obviously people think badly and and it's not great. Or I think we can go the other way around, can't we? We can do the whole fawning sort of, so you don't actually say a clear no. You're like, oh, well, oh, I am on my, but I think, okay, all right, well, I've said no, but, oh, but, but I will do. Uh, what about this? You know, and then you just go the other way because you're so worried about what people <laughs> think of you that you then fudge it. You don't say a clear no, which is no good for anybody, really, because then you've got no no one's a winner there. And I know that's part of our fight, flight or freeze response as well. I've got told it's not just fight, flight or freeze. It's fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Yes, I call it a piece. You're actually right. And Ooh, yeah. if, you, if you get known as the one who always gives in, then of course the danger is the reception will go, oh, good old Jane or good old Rachel. She's the one who always picks up the, the, the lunchtime call. Mm. So that's the danger, isn't it? That you get, then we fear we're going to be used and abused by others because we are the ones that do the appeasing or the fawning or the giving in. And so that's one of the reasons to be very clear what your reasoning is and what your intention is and what your boundaries are. Yeah, never easy, Rachel. I don't think any of this stuff is easy, but it's, it is about once you've got some clarity around it and everybody's, you know, got, got some clarity around how to communicate, then it, it's, it's slightly easier, I suppose. I think there's, there's two issues. I think that no matter how well you communicate your no and how well you set your boundaries and how well you explain why, there will still be some people that are a bit hacked off about it. Because yeah. I, nobody likes to be said no to, particularly if you want something. Yeah, yeah. And that, in my mind, is not a reason to then then cave in. It's like, you know, when you tell your toddler, no, you can't have the second donut. <laughs> and they yeah. they have a tantrum that does not mean you should give in it just means you're being a good parent right so how do you help people cope with that pushback and that kickback of being able to hold the line and accept it even when people aren't happy with them I get it You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops 
top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Yeah, well, it requires a strength of personality, doesn't it? It does. You have got to be strong enough to do that. And one of the things I've been, again, working with GP practice on is values. And this is interesting because most businesses have a set of values and they say, you know, these are our corporate values. And most often they don't really know what that means. But actually having a set of core values means that we know what they are, that we're very clear what they are. um, We know what they interpret into in terms of how we speak and behave towards each other. And when we have a situation like this, we know or we can measure whether we've held true to our values or not. And so having having clarity about values, we did two exercises with the GPs I was working with. One is what are your virtues? Because I think sometimes we're always busy looking for what our faults are, particularly those of us who are, you know, who are feeling less confident about ourselves. So what are your virtues? And when you then look at all of your virtues together, you realize what a unique team of people you are and how you can support each other because you've got lots of different virtues. And then what are your values, which do reflect, both reflect each other. And values are important for the whole practice because then really, if you, if you've done that exercise right, it's about what do we believe is important? Why do we believe those things are important? And how do we behave in accordance with those values? every day and if we don't what are the consequences of that you know what do we expect to happen and so it's it's just a way of being of thinking through what are the things that uh, for us as a practice are really important in how we show up I mean it's good to have all sorts of values but if you have a value like trust for example or excellence or whatever you've got to be able to describe that that what does that really mean and what does it specifically mean in terms of what people expect of me how I will behave to them so you know what what assumptions are underlying that as well? What am I assuming about someone if I trust them? And, and we did unpack trust this week. Trust is really interesting because there are so many layers to it, but it takes some work to do this. And I work with all kinds of organizations and teams in understanding how you would use values to enable you to manage some of these challenging situations because you've got a benchmark then and at least a benchmark for a discussion about you know are we when we're under pressure or are we are we not upholding our values are we not behaving in accordance with those so it's again it's something that takes time to do but it's a really really useful exercise to be able to yeah have something to measure against that's really interesting. I was just thinking, so how does values apply to an, an individual that said no to something quite right, knows they're wise, and then got some pushback, someone upset with them or thinking badly of them? And actually, I think it's a sort of double level thing, isn't it? So in, immediately, you will feel bad. You'll probably feel guilty. You'll worry you've made the wrong decision by saying no. You'll probably feel anxious. 
I think possibly the first thing to realize is that is just your amygdala going, ah, someone's upset across with me. I must have done something wrong because that feeling of anxiety and worry is normally a flag that there's a danger or a threat, but also yeah. we tend yeah. to go, oh, it's something that I've done. I've done something wrong. So just recognize that all oh, that feeling of upset and worry, that's normal. But then if you dig down to the values, that's really helpful because actually if my values say are oh, trustworthiness, actually sometimes saying no is the trustworthy thing to do because if you say yes when you don't mean it, you've got no intention of doing it, well then saying no is a trustworthy thing. What about mm-hmm. excellence? If I say yes to too many things, I know I can't be excellent at what I do. Therefore saying no will uphold your value of excellence. So you ignore that first, that flagging amygdala, oh, my feelings are like this and dig mm-hmm. down to actually the, the values that you have upheld by saying no, which honesty, integrity, family, because you've said no and it means you can go home or that, then then actually that is really helpful. And that may help just deal with this upsetting of people and that very uncomfortable feeling when someone is thinking badly of, badly of you. To be open and honest about how you're feeling. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, uh, this is how I feel. So when you said that you couldn't do that, I felt my immediate feeling was, and I'm, and then question that, you know, or, or talk about it even, you know, that left me feeling vulnerable or w- whatever it is. You know, I think sometimes we don't dig down to that level and say, this is what I'm feeling. And then the reason I'm feeling that is, And what I need to do is, where I'm trying to get to is, I need to do X or Y. So we don't, we don't dig down to the layers of conversation that explore, here's what I'm thinking and feeling about, you know, here's something that's happened or something, an issue. Here's what I'm thinking and feeling about it. Here's where I'm trying to get to. And here's some of the things I've thought about it. And then, And then one of the things we do in mediation training is to then give the power back to the other person and say, this is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Because we often then tend to, what happens is if someone doesn't feel they've been hurt, they simply go round again. (laughs) They simply sort of say again what they didn't feel was heard. So they think, I didn't get the response we wanted. My communication didn't get the response I wanted. So I have to try something else, which is say it again, say it louder or, or walk out or whatever. But if you can explain it in that holistic way and then give it to the other person and say, your turn, your turn now to comment on this. It gives the power away. You don't have to keep enforcing your power. You're saying, no, right, your turn now. You you tell me what you think, what you feel. That's really interesting. So that that if you say no to someone or set a boundary and you get that response of, yeah, saying it again, they then request it just in a different way or louder or say, hang yeah. on a sec, or storm off. It's not that you went the wrong. It's just they haven't, maybe they haven't felt heard or just they just don't like what you've said and and then you can then you get into the saying it again saying it louder and I think probably what we do get is then self-justification about stuff so I've said no but I'm now going to give you 20 million different reasons why I've had Mm. to say no Mm. rather than just sort of stating it and then yeah so I'm trying to justify rather than actually going back to that person saying what do you need what are you what are you thinking now 
And also, if you notice a, a, a uh, an angry or a defensive response from someone, you know, the thing you're dreading that makes you have a knot in your stomach and you think, oh, I just upset them. Again, you can comment on that. You know, I I, I noticed that you look really upset when I said that. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering why, what were you expecting? Or, you know, but again, you can open up and ask them to converse about it because, we interpret someone else's behaviour if they cross their arms or frown or something, and we don't always know what that means. It's our interpretation, and again, our interpretation from our amygdala state, which says, actually, I've just witnessed something which threatens my sense of safety with that person. But if you explore it and say, you know, I just, I just like to, I'm, I'm just curious to know what you're actually thinking yourself. Here's what I'm thinking. That can tone it down a bit, I suppose. And it's a way of, we call it nonviolent communication. How do you communicate? You know, that's a, it's a well-known phrase, nonviolent communication, but it's a way of, of not, of trying not to trigger the other person in the way you say something. I think sometimes when we're very anxious or we've got an important message, the way we deliver it is interpreted and not even consciously but subconsciously by the other person as triggering. And then they respond from that trigger and then you end up in this sort of cycle of conflict and it's just understanding the misinterpretation that's happened and then ironing that out and thinking, right, let's go back a step and say, you know, I'm I'm trying to say this, what are you trying to say? That's really interesting because... Yeah, we teach a lot about, again, the story in your head, what you're assuming about the other person. If you have said no to the other person and they react badly, often we're assuming they're reacting badly because they think I'm dreadful or they're reacting Mm. badly because they're just being selfish. But probably it's none of the above. Probably they're reacting badly just because they're then thinking, oh, how do I go sort this problem out then? Or how do I get that phone call done or, oh, that's a bit inconvenient now. But if you then assume that they're reacting badly because they're cross with you and you go, well, I'm sorry if you're upset with me. Again, that is really (laughs) triggering. That's really triggering. And we call that being over over the net. You know, you're you're assuming you know what that person's thinking and why they're upset because you've said no. You've no idea. So, you know, know, I've noticed your, I noticed that that seems a bit, I don't know. How do we say that in a non-judgmental way? I notice that you climbed up just then and looked a bit upset. Am I, am I right in thinking that? Can I ask what's going on? I, I don't know. How would you phrase that, expert? Well, I think, yes, it is difficult, isn't it? Because it does depend on each person. You know, I always say the answer is always it depends, Rachel. Oh. It depends because it does depend who you're talking to. And it isn't about giving people scripts, but I think, you know, something about, oh, I, I noticed, you know, I noticed you frowning or I, I, it looked as though you weren't very happy to hear that or I don't know. As much as anything, it's the tone of voice you say it in, isn't it? Mm. It's like talking to children and dogs, frankly. You know, if you seem to be, oh, you noticed, oh, you looked very cross rather than, I'm curious, you looked a little bit cross there when I said that. You know, it's like, What's the tone of voice? Is it a curious tone of voice or is it an aggressive tone of voice? And that's 
you know, again, if you go back to the amygdala and it's all important, that's what, that's what our brain is interpreting that before we've, our logic has clicked in and gone, Oh, hang on a minute. There could be another answer to that. We've already responded to it or we rather we've re- already reacted to it rather than given ourselves time to respond to it. Yeah. And it's that immediate reaction, which is very subconscious that, you know, we're not aware of. We make it in a microsecond. So it just strikes me that this is getting very complicated because what's happening, (laughs) let me explain. We set, you know, we know we've got limits. We know we're overwhelmed. So we prioritize and set boundaries, which means we have to say no to things, which means that then other people might have a reaction. (laughs) So we say no. And then our reaction to their reaction of saying no can actually trigger things and make things even worse, right? (laughs) Is that what we're saying? Why we don't say it, yes. Well, that's the whole thing we're exploring, isn't it, Rachel? You know, are are we opening a can of worms, I suppose, is the challenge we're always worried about. Is it easier to say nothing and carry on, you know, being a martyr, if you like? My mother always used to go, just being a martyr. (laughs) That's it, isn't it? Is it easier to do that sometimes, to just carry on and not say anything And what are the consequences of that? And then what kind of culture does that create? What kind of environment does that create? So there is a sense of individual responsibility, but there is also a sense of joint responsibility in saying, if we encourage or enable or allow people to store things up like that, why? You know, there's this term, there's this term which is quite commonly used now, psychological safety. Have we created an environment of psychological safety? In other words, people feel safe sticking their head above the parapet and saying, all is not well here. Or or have we created more of an environment where that's not okay? And I think, you know, yes, at an individual level, we're talking about this. What can an individual do? But at the end of the day, it is a group issue, it's a practice issue about the environment or the culture we have created here and is it one of psychological safety and what does that mean in enabling people to speak up? And if we don't create that, what's the possible consequence of that Mm. short-term, long-term and so on? Because in the environment working at the moment, things are just going to get worse, aren't they? So, you know, there is a sense in which the pe- people will just leave. The end point is if you don't enable people to solve their problem, they have an opportunity to go. Mm. And you probably lose your best people because they're the ones that think, you know, I don't, I don't need to do this. I, I, there's other op- options and opportunities out there for me. So it's a joint responsibility of saying if we want to keep our best people and we want to be the best team that we could possibly be, what do we need to do to create that environment? Mm. Yes, it's down to individuals to point out the impact on them, but it's a joint thing, not just an individual thing. Yeah, that's so true. I think with psychological safety in teams, you always think the reason for psychological safety is so that people can speak up and whistleblow and point out the problems, which, I mean, that's the extreme reason. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. One of the main reasons is that so that people can say no to each other and that still be okay and people not judge you for it and, and, and the relationship be there. And, 
you're right. I think you do lose your really competent, really good people because they are not willing to speak up and say no. But I, I do think the responsibility is 50-50. I do think, obviously, you need the good team. But I think that, and I don't know about lawyers, maybe lawyers are better because I've got this, I've got this thing in my head, correct me if I'm wrong, that lawyers are quite good at arguing and conflict because <laughs> like, that's their job. But I'm probably completely wrong on that. Doctors are good at saying no when it's literally no, the guidelines say I can't prescribe that. You're really good at breaking bad news to patients because you have to. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. saying no, maybe it's the same for lawyers. You're good at arguing in court, but not with each other when you're in a partnership. Well, I, think that's right. I think that's right. You know, we've got certain skills and, you know, as people always ask me, are you good at mediating at home? And I say, well, not necessarily. I'm an interested party, aren't I? We're good in the way that we're trained with things, but then we have to mm-hmm. step outside our comfort zone. And all of this is about stepping outside something that feels comfortable and saying this just feels really uncomfortable, but I think you know, I think I've got to do it. Yeah. I think the boundaries and saying no, the more I think about it and more I look at this, it's such a professional skill because, mm. you know, otherwise you will be overwhelmed. It's a huge skill for resilience. And I'd never really linked it so much with that nonviolent communication before. And I think that's really, really helpful. If we can, we can say no in a way that is understood by someone else so they understand our needs and, shows that we understand them and we're not assuming anything about them, then actually that's going to be, that's going to be really great. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. there will still be some people that don't like the fact that we have said no to them. right? And it's not because you've said it in the wrong way. It's not because you've assumed anything. It's just because they wanted something and you've said no. And then they might just think bad because you can't control what other people think of you. You can't at the end of the day. And I think that's the, that's such a wise comment, Rachel. You can't control you can't control other people. You certainly can't control how they think. All you can do is control your own thinking and your own responses and make sure they are responses and not reactions. You know, I've thought about this and here's my response to that. And then at the end of the day, you can't you can't change people. I mean, I've got, I've got two strategies. I'd love to know your strategy of this. The first one, <laughs> the first one is we did a podcast with Georgina Skull. She's done a podcast and written a book about regrets of the dying. And right. one of the main regrets of people in their last year of life is they're doing stuff to please other people. And mm-hmm. often decisions they didn't make or things they didn't do was because they were worried what a certain person might think of them. And by the end of their life, they weren't even in touch with that person anymore. They'd loom big in their life, but like now they were like, don't even know where they are. Why did I care so much about what they think? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. first of all, getting into perspective, you know, in five years' time, am I really going to care what that person thinks? It feels like this massive thing to me now. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one, and I've done a recent podcast on it, on this, and there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this works, is actually just saying, F it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you can say, isn't it, right? There's a book on that. There is a book on that. There is a book, and it's the podcast by the guy that wrote the book. It's a really John C. Park, and honestly, he's a very well thought through through philosophy just to help you get rid of your attachment to the outcomes of things. It's yes, really helpful. So I think sometimes what you're saying, or both of those things, I suppose, are saying, let's get things into perspective, you know, 
does this person is this person at the end of my life it is like that thing you know when i when i lie on my deathbed am i going to say i wish i'd worked even harder no i'm not i'm going to say i wish i'd spent more time with my children or i wish i'd spent more time traveling you know we got to th- get things into perspective and that's exactly the same and and the same with that approach is yeah sometimes i just have to say so what i think this takes practice as well if, if you practice it it gets easier I do remember listening to this podcast or reading a bit can't remember what it was and it was this bloke that was absolutely crippled with anxiety about asking people things in case they said no and so mm-hmm. he couldn't ask any girls out on dates in case they said no and he was like right I've got to sort this out and so he decided every day to do something where he knew someone was going to say no to him Mm-hmm. So he would go up to, he would live in America where, you know, you get the refills of your Coke at Burger King. So he went up to the counter at Burger King and asked for a refill of his burger <laughs> and stuff. And he went to people and asked if he could sunbathe in their front garden for a couple of hours and like really ridiculous things. And the really funny thing is half the time people said yes. I know, I'm just imagining that. I'm imagining that and also it's going through my mind. You know, what are some wacky questions? I love it. I, I know. Maybe, maybe you should do that. But it just struck me that. And he's like, by the end of the year, he just did not. He was asking for all sorts of things. And people saying no to him did not bother him. And what people thought of him just did not bother him because it was like, okay, well, that passes. That passes. And that's absolutely fine. And, and actually, we can say no to our families because we do care about what they think of us. But we know they love us and they're stuck with us. And, yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> generally that generally that's fine and you know I am I'm a sort of person who's very sensitive to what people think and feel like I've been mucking things up most of my life and keep putting my foot in my mouth and all that sort of thing but I generally think my life would be much better if I just could say a little bit more effort to stuff and I'm really trying to and it, it, it helps <laughs> I think we should definitely go away and ask for these things that we think people would say no to I, that sounds like a really fun exercise <laughs> I love it, Jane. Seriously, would you go into McDonald's and ask for a free a refill of your burger? I would just, and if you manage to do it, I, I want to know about that. I remember my brother-in-law in the days when you used to ring directory inquiries and he rang up and said to the woman, he was just bored and he said, I, I'm looking for a recipe for a chocolate cake. Can you help? You know, it's like, and I think she said, yes, I can. But you know, it's like. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I think, I mean, I think in therapy, I was hearing about some sort of trauma, childhood trauma therapy recently. If if people felt that they didn't have any control as a child and weren't able to say no, they get them to practice saying no to small things. Mm. So maybe that's what people need to do is just like find something really, really simple. I was coaching someone once and she'd left this practice because it was awful, awful, awful practice. And they phoned her up and said, we really need someone to work on Friday mornings. And she said, yes. I said, why did you say yes? You've just left. Because, because they asked me. And it literally, that was, and we're so like that. If someone asks us, yes. it's just, it, it's crazy. So practice saying no in some really silly way. And then presumably that muscle gets a bit, a bit stronger. I'm imagining going round now with a badge, which is just say no. I don't know. It, 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 it's something that if we get this right, because I think what happens with me, if I say no, and I'm already feeling bad about saying no, if I get the pushback, my reaction is then 10 times worse. But if I say no, and I'm feeling good about saying no, and I get pushback, I'd be like, 
yeah, sorry, I just, you know, sorry, just not what we're going to do. And then I don't make things, don't make things even worse, really. Yeah. And that's, that's the fear, isn't it? You, so I suppose at the end of the day, Rachel, what does it, what am I most afraid of? Mm. Am I afraid of feeling rejected? Am I afraid of upsetting someone? You know, what is the fear? And how do I face that fear? Because, you know, it's understanding what it is and also where it comes from. Where does that fear come from? So when I was a child, if I upset my mother, she would just go quiet. She would stop talking to me or communicating with me. And I think, you know, I think that's where part of my trauma comes from, actually, you know, to have a parent who just stops communicating with you, who basically blanks you for two days is very traumatic. So I then developed this strategy as I got older of running conversations through my head and thinking, oh, I need to say this to her, but if I said it in this way or this way or this way, <laughs> which was most likely to trigger this unfortunate behavior. So I think, you know, at the back of that's one of the reasons I'm quite interested in these skills is because I had to practice it from quite a young age to offset that particular pushback. Yeah. And, you know, well, we all have our reasons and we have, you know, that for all of us, how we behave to people comes from what we've experienced in the past and probably in our childhood. Yeah, but I think you've also just come up with a, another very helpful principle. Actually, when your mum can cope with that, no, it wasn't because of you. And because of you, little kid, it was because of because of her. What's going on there? And I think we always think when people react, it's about us. It's what we've done yeah. something, but it's much more about them. Really, ninety nine times out of hundred, it's it's them. It really is them, not you. But all you yeah. see is the a negative reaction. Yeah, and though the other thing I did do was learn to think about just do some planning. You know, think about I need to say this thing. It may be perceived, or I may get a negative reaction. I could say it in this way, or that way, or that way. And if it's a really important conversation, you run it through with a colleague, or you just bounce it off somebody. You know, not all the time, but there are options about thinking. Thinking about how I'm going to communicate yeah. rather than just opening my mouth and saying something. Oh my gosh, that is such a helpful point because most times when we say no to something, we've seen it coming or we've had that situation before. Unless someone jumps in the streets and says, give me your money, you know, or you probably weren't expecting that. But if someone says, will you take this extra phone call or will you come out with me that night or will you do this or do that, actually... A, mostly you can buy yourself time, which I think is so important. Press pause button, buy yourself that time so you can really think it through. Yeah, write it down. Write down five, six different ways you could say that and try it on a friend and go, right, which one of these sounds best? Exactly. <laughs> which one of these will, 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 will clarify the message the best or just, you know? Yeah. And of course, salespeople do that all the time. If you're trying to sell something to someone, you, you know, that's what sales and advertising is all about. You know, what is it that's going to be, the most influential and the best way to get someone to do the positive thing that which is buy your product or your service. So, you know, we need to do be a little bit more into that mindset of how do I, you know, how do I have the right impact on someone else's perception of me and their mindset and so on. And, and that's what advertising people would do. They would 
try out lots of different messages and see which one works best. Mm. And do I say it with a smile on my face? Do I not smile? <laughs> if I laugh, it's not going to come across too well, is it really? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, write down a load of um, phrases, try them out and see what works. Another really helpful thing I heard about with giving difficult feedback or any difficult conversation is uh, get a piece of paper, just draw a line down the middle and on one side, write everything you really want to say unfiltered. And on the right-hand side, write how you could say that exactly the same thing, but in a really nice way. <laughs> yes. And the other exercise similar to that, which I've done, is where, you know, you've got a situation and you write down in the left-hand column everything that's going through your mind, all the unsaid things. Here's the thing I'm thinking about this situation or about this person, but I'm not saying it. Instead, I'm saying X. And why am I saying X when really my brain is saying why um, you know what's the mismatch there is it is there something uh, you know it's I, I have a couple of mantras whatever is unspoken is hardest to change and we speak least about the things that matter most and it's like are there some bits in that left hand column that I'm just not communicating to that other person and what's coming out of my mouth is entirely giving them the wrong message it's back to the message are they getting the wrong message from me because i'm not saying what i really am thinking and it's not always okay to share what we're thinking sometimes we then have to go oh, goodness me look at what i am thinking and why am i thinking that about that person because mm-hmm. again you're you know you're saying you know maybe it's not my fault but i'm thinking something negative about that person and maybe i'm wrong yeah Maybe that thing isn't true or isn't right. And we're right back to that nonviolent communication, aren't we? Which is obviously state mm-hmm. what you've noticed. Like, I noticed you frowned. Not, I noticed you're really angry because they might not be <laughs> angry. They might be very sad. Or, yeah. you know, so yes. just state what, and then ask, ask them, is that right? Or this is the story in my head about that. Mm. Is that yeah. right? You know, yeah. I, I've just said no there. Story in my head that I, I'm really worried that that's, going to be really difficult for you and upset you am I right (laughs) you know can I check that out at the end of the day it it just takes extra effort doesn't it you know it's easy to just respond in the moment be instinctive you know uh, uh, just say what's on our mind or or stay silent but at the end of the day to do this stuff you've got to make a choice and you've got to do it consciously and that takes time and effort. So it's the time and effort to be thinking about it, be thinking about, you know, what, what do I what do I know? What skills have I picked up that help me? And then how can we help each other with these things? Because it's important. Well, Jane, that is just there's so much in that. That's been really, really helpful. I've got I'm collecting <laughs> a toolkit on how to say no and set boundaries. You've given me like four new things that weren't in my oh, toolkit good. already. Excellent. Which is brilliant. So thank you. In a minute I'm gonna find out how people can get hold of you and a bit about your course. But let me ask you for your three top tips on how to say no and then deal with the pushback. Okay. So I think be clear about your reasoning and intent and share it. I would say have a plan, you know, think about what you're going to say. And then I would say it's not all about you. (laughs) There's two of you. One of the things my business colleague used to say, which I loved, was test your assumptions to extinction. We make assumptions. So test your assumptions. I'm probably assuming 
lots of things which aren't true. So I would say that would be the Oh, I love that. Test one. your assumptions to extinction. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, lovely. <laughs> My top tips are expect that pushback, practice what you might say, and very occasionally you just have to say, effort you know actually that doesn't matter let's get some perspective so jane how can people get hold of you tell us a little bit about the course okay so i my website is janegun.co.uk my email is jane at janegun.co.uk my course is called barefoot mediation it's barefoot because it's about the essence of mediation and how you can apply it in your workplace and your home life at the same time learning about conflict and your own personal perspective on it, and also how you can build some of these principles into, you know, a practice or, or an organisation or a team. So that's what it's called, Barefoot Mediation. And again, if anybody wants to email me, it's an online course, runs over a period of six weeks or so, and I've had huge variety of people on it, GPs, lawyers, and a hip-hop rapper. The hip-hop yeah. rapper, love it. <laughs> So we'll look out for, for various hip hop songs that come out or various rap tunes that come out. And there's bits of mediation be like, that, that was them. That was them on James. I've got a, a testimonial in rap from him. It's wonderful. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Jane, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. And thank will you come you. back at some point soon? I'd love to. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget... We provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.